We're a unique podcast for families of faith, produced by parents and pastors who understand and appreciate how hard it is to maintain your faith in a hostile culture. We're here to encourage and support you in the most vital role of all, parenting. If you're feeling overwhelmed and afraid, it's okay. You're not alone. Brilliantly Brave is hosted by two honest and engaging dads with nine kids between them. A road tripper, author, and pastor, Father Brad Mathias, and iShine founder, solo parenting expert, and all-around foodie, Mr. Robert Beeson. Join us each week as we explore and engage with some of the most intriguing, inspiring, outrageous, and awesome parents in the world. This is Brilliantly Brave. Hi, and welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I'm your host, Pastor Brad Mathias, and I am here in the studio with my sidekick. How you doing, Brad? Yeah, sidekick, Robert Beeson. I'm good. Robert, how are you this morning? I'm good. I'm feeling some swagger. Swagger. Uh, I heard uh, heard you had Winston in yesterday. Yep, he did a little piece. Uh, we yeah. filmed that, and that went, that went really good. How this are you? This you is your some... dog. This is our dog. You're not supposed to talk yet, Dean. It's not your section. It's not quite yet. Uh, did he did he mention me? I was gone. No, he didn't. I was speaking actually. at another place. There was there was no nothing. Did he didn't say a word. No, no, he was just really happy to be here. Man, wow. Well, yeah, I feel like Winston and I have bonded. We have a deeper connection. Um, so yeah, he's good at making people feel that way. So how are you today? Uh, you know what? I'm not on any uh, allergy or cold medicine. I feel alert. Oriented times three. I, I feel good. I feel rested. Good. You could kind of tell when you did the intro, you had a little... little zip? Uh, yeah, you had a little shoulder movement, and that's, that's not typical. Usually you're a little straighter than that. So. Well, you know, I'm wearing my black shirt today, and I see you mm. are as well. That's true. So for those who don't know, you can check us out on video on YouTube, um, and you can see what these voices look like. Yeah, it's not recommended, but you can definitely do that. Well, you know, there's... Um, there's a lot to season two of our podcast, and we've we've had the pleasure of interviewing some really outstanding people in the last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, as the broadcast rolls out this fall, um, I think people are going to enjoy it. But today's guest is actually someone that goes way back for you. Mm-hmm. I've known Dean for quite a while. Maybe you should introduce our guest because of your long and <laughs> illustrious history with Dean Deal. I would love to. <laughs> it would be my honor. <laughs> Uh, Dean and I have worked, um, we have worked together for seems like eons and, um, way back when I was in the music business, uh, Dean was the head of marketing for, uh, at the time it was Brentwood music and became Provident and that kind of thing. And so he ran another label and I ran a label and then they merged all the labels together. And then, Mar- and eventually it came to the place where I was the head of A&R, which is artists and repertoire which is just the creative side and dean handled all the marketing for all the labels and so um we uh we had some great days we had some great experiences but um dean is always one of those guys that he <laughs> this is so hard for me because because <laughs> i have right so <laughs> much respect for him but it's really hard for me to actually look at him and and, and um, admit it and admit it yes that's it well, no, in, in truthfulness, I think Dean is one of the funniest people that I know. He's one of the greatest 
uh, creatist. He's one of the most creative marketing people and certainly has um, not only the ability to, to market things, but has, has a real instinct for trends and what's going on. And, and I've always enjoyed working with him. It's just, I think the dynamic that's weird here is actually interviewing him. It's very seldom that we have a serious conversation <laughs> yeah. that it well at least that the, that the, I guess the platform is stable. We're always kind of cracking jokes. So, but Dean is a uh, father of four daughters. He has three grandkids. Uh, he's still in the music business, and he is a professor at a leading college here in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, one of the brightest minds that I know. And that's as far as the compliments go. But it's Dean, on tape. it's good to have you here. It's reciprocal. You need to kind of give it back to me now. Oh, I'll give it back. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's good to have you, Dean. Yeah, Dean Deal is the senior vice president of Provident Music Group. He's an assistant professor at Treveca, and he is the director of their music business program and has been since 2008. So Dean is this uh, renaissance man. He's a father hmm. of four, uh, three grandchildren, um, and he's in the music business. He's also running part of the music business, and he's a dad. So he's perfect guest for a brilliantly brave welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. Why are you an assistant professor? Uh, I don't have my doctorate, and I ha it's like a procession. You begin as an instructor, and then assistant professor, then associate professor, then professor. Mm. It has to do with how long you've been there and what your degree is. Okay. So are you going to be a professor ever, or I, do you have I've, to get a doctorate? I've got to get into the doctorate, which I'm actually applying for several right now. Very cool. Very cool. I just I don't know where I'll find I'll probably have to give up sleep. But I'll fit it in. Yeah. So you have an MBA then? I have an MBA. Okay. Awesome. Well, Dean, uh, as a guy who gets to see you regularly, we work together, uh, Robert and Dean and I, on a, a special project called Before 13, uh, which is a partnership between iShine, between Gospel Alliance, and uh, Providence Sony. I get to see you every Wednesday. We get to hang out. And I've heard you comment and sort of... Uh, reply to several different things that are happening in our culture. And it made me realize you're actually a, a student yourself of culture. And uh, I, I have to ask, as you've got this long history of working in the industry, being around the church, education, grandfather, what do you see today as one of the, maybe the greatest challenges to the family? Wow, the list is pretty long. Um, and I don't know, I mean, how far I can go with this statement. But I think what we're seeing in culture is, in some ways, the failure of the evangelical movement. Hmm. Um, somewhere along the line, we made our minds up that the role of the church was to go get new Christians rather than to be the church. And so evangelism took on this tone because I'm a marketing guy. My MBA is in marketing. And when you look at what's happened to the church, we're selling Christianity. And in order to sell it, you have to have a value proposition. In order to have a value proposition, you have to decide, I've got to create a need in you that the church can satisfy. And that need then became, you need to be saved because you're going to hell and you've got, you're a sinner. And um, when you look at the sermons in the, in the New Testament, they're never rooted in the idea of how bad you are and how God's going to make you good because God never wanted us to be good. God wants us to be holy. And the difference is to be good is something I do to be holy, something he does. 
So as it relates to families, in a lot of ways, what's happened with Christianity is it's become a way to try to make our kids good rather than teaching them to be holy. Hmm. And when you try to make your kids good, then you start out with this list of things that must be good and things that must be bad. And your relationship with your children and your children's relationship with God then becomes, am I doing the things that mom and dad say are good? And am I avoiding the things that mom and dad say are bad? Because if I do these bad things, then I must be bad. Mm. And if I do these good things, then I must be good. And the next thing you know, we end up with Christian karma. (laughs) And it's all rooted in this idea that we have to sell something in order for people to come to church. And we're selling salvation. And salvation was never meant to be a product, and it was never meant to be for sale. So, <clears throat> for those laymen in the audience, like me, what we're talking about is kind of behavior versus heart, to a certain extent, right? Yes, we, absolutely. And and maybe it's about what we measure um, is is kind of and parenting in in, in Christendom. We're measuring ourselves and and the culture and each other um, by the wrong measuring stick. Yeah, it's like we're surrounded with ladders, and I'm somewhere on that ladder. There's like on the good ladder. I know I'm not at the top of the ladder because I know people that are are gooder Mm -hmm. than me. And then there's people, but there are people on the ladder lower than me that I'm better than. Right. And so I'm talking about how children are, when we talk to our kids and make faith and salvation about being good, we've now created a ladder. Well, am I good? How good am I? Right. And just ask a kid, you know, you did this and that's bad. Well, there's somebody in their mind, there's somebody worse. Right. Somebody did something worse. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, we've got a hierarchy of good. (laughs) So if I give money to the church, I did something good. But if I show up and work, I did something better. And if I go on a mission trip to another country, I did something even better. So I got a good ladder and then bad. All right, I told a lie, but that's not as bad as like having sex. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're 15. It's, right. it's, so there's this bad ladder. And every kid is, they're looking at themselves and they're constantly measuring where I, where am I on this ladder? Mm-hmm. I did something bad. So now if I do something good, I move up that and it goes this, because you see what I mean? We've mm-hmm. created this messed up thing and um, we, we've used our Christianity to try to keep our kids safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. how, did you, how did you deal with that at home? I'm sorry. Brad, that was the exact question I was going to ask. Um, like you and Judy, your wife, how, how did, being aware of this, and obviously you've, you've had some years on you now, so you, you're coming <laughs> to terms. <laughs> If you're watching the video, you can see the white. In the um, yeah. yes, I, I've put some. The years, warranty's but... expired. Let's just put it that no way. No question. We're way past. We're yeah, way I told past my warranty. wife the trade in. There's no longer a trade in. <laughs> There's no value. You get at our age, you don't get to trade up. <laughs> um, so, I, I'm not saying knowing what you know now, you probably didn't parent completely from that point of view because we're in it, right? right. So, but looking back, um, what are things that you either did that you're like, you know, that is, I think that was a good move because. I raise my girls to not measure themselves by this. Or if you didn't do that, then looking back, what would you say to a parent that's in that stage? Like what, what kinds of things can we do to um, prevent this, this false measuring kind of mentality? Cause it happens first of all, with us, we measure ourselves. absolutely, And then we, we model that, or we even 
you know, inflict that on our kids. So what can we do to kind of undo some of those things in a family setting? Well, I think as you get older, I mean, we all mess our kids up. My, mm-hmm. my youngest daughter, Anna, is a psychology major and she's in her freshman psychology class last year. And she sends me a text. She goes, I'm sitting in psychology. Turns out everything's your fault. <laughs> And yeah. I was like, yeah, it's true. Before. Pay it forward. <laughs> you don't get to get me. Just screw up your kids. That's the, it's the privilege we have as parents. Every group of parents gets to screw up their kids, and then they screw up and their you kids. But do you don't too. get to pay it back. <laughs> you can only pay it forward. So we messed up. We didn't get this right all the time. But I feel like there were two insights that Judy and I had as parents. And she's the smart one. You should be talking to her. I just take all the things she says, and I can boil it down into a soundbite. <laughs> You market her. Um, exactly. It's, yeah. It's, it, yeah. Um, but one of those insights was that idea that God didn't ask us to be good. God didn't call us. He never told us to be good. In fact, um, there's a young man that comes to Jesus and he calls him good teacher. He goes, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that's the Father. Even Jesus wasn't trying to be good. He was trying to be obedient. There's a difference. So we have this insight. God doesn't call us to be good. He calls us to be holy. Good something we do, holy something he does. So we didn't talk to our kids a lot about being good or, or bad in that, in that regard. Yeah. The other thing we got some insight on pretty early was this thing that I now call, I didn't call it this at the time, but I call it value-centered parenting, which is opposed to rule based parenting Hmm. instead of trying to lay out here are the rules what we try to talk about is all right as a family we value honesty we think it's important that if we're going to live together and we're going to be a family and we're going to trust each other then we have to tell each other the truth not because truth is good lies bad which is actually true but that's not that doesn't work with with kids but we think honesty is worth giving your life to, Hmm. to be honest. Hmm. We didn't talk to our kids about chastity. Hmm. We talked about purity. That in addition to honesty, purity is something that we value as a family. We think that um, treating our bodies as a gift from God and taking care of that body is something important. Mm. But rather than trying to break that, in, that out into rules, we tried to talk about the things that we felt like kept the body healthy. Mm. Now, from my background, that included um, not using alcohol or tobacco, but you know, not in a religious conviction you're going to hell if you do those things, but centered more in what did we think purity meant and keeping your your body healthy, whole, and, mm-hmm. and pure. We did talk about sex in that context, but never in the idea that, see, here's where we get messed up, is when you start making it good and bad, the things that are on the bad list, some of those things end up on the good list as you get older. Mm. And so that gets messed up. I thought you said that like was sex. bad. Yeah. And so we've got a lot of uh, women, the young women that are raised in the church. And, you know, guys never seem to grasp the idea that sex is bad. It's like, <laughs> you're telling me that, but I'm not sure. You know, but I think there's a lot of uh, young people that struggle with the idea because they've grown up believing sex is bad. Yeah, and now you're they're married. Shamed. And it's like, yeah, it's a shame thing. And they're ashamed of this thing. And it's like, that's what happens when you start the good, bad thing as opposed to laying out what are the things that we pursue so we pursue purity Hmm. and when you talk about your kids to purity then when they start to get into dating and they move into 
a marriage relationship, then you can talk about even sex under the context of purity. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Rather than making it good or bad. Those are just some examples of ways that instead of having rule-based uh, approach to raising your kids, you, you root it in things you value as a family. We talked about mm. the family name, that, you know, that being a deal meant some things. And it meant honesty, it meant purity. But we also always talked about um, restoration. Hmm. Hmm. That God is in the process of restoring us all. And, and one of the things we do in Before 13, so we talk about this every Wednesday when we're together talking about Before 13, is the idea of identity. Mm-hmm. That our job as parents is not to deliver them to the age of 18 having never had sex or had drugs or uh, had alcohol or, or done anything bad, you know, delivering these good kids to 18 and then, all right, world, yeah. now You're equipped. we're, now we're done. Do we did our job. We delivered them to 18 as good people. Um, it's more about helping them discover their identity, which is very much the right word, discover, as opposed to shape, build, mm or create an identity. Identity is something that we discover, and we discover it in Christ. Only Christ can name us, Mm. and it's only in Christ. We're all children of God. Now, you may be a bad child of God. You may be a wayward child. I shouldn't use the word bad after all that stuff. You may be a wayward child of God, but we're still his children. Right. And um, when you help your your, your kids discover their identity in that, um, I think, again, that's, that's better than trying to um, use words to shape them or mm-hmm. to view uh, your children as something that you shape or you control or that you build. They're not empty canvases. They're not blank slates. You know, they are fully formed. They're like seeds. You know, it's like it's hard to believe when you look, at, a, you look at an oak tree that's 60 feet high and everything that was in that tree... All 60 years in that acorn mm-hmm. and time and right. nurturing soil. You know, so our, our view of parenting was often the, the soil. I love yeah. that. I do too. And I, as you're sitting there talking, I, I've really, uh, as an adult, I can look back on my parenting. I'm 47. I've got three kids. My first grandkid arrives this fall. Uh, I did it all wrong. I'm pretty sure. Like, we all did. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure that. Uh, so for the parent who's listening, you go, wow, that was hopeful and really insightful. And I've never done it that way. <laughs> Everything in my house was rules and lists and, you know, good and bad. And my language is all wrong. I just want to interject this moment of hope <laughs> and say, God can can fix these things. And these are uh, valuable lessons that are being shared here from Dean. And we appreciate that. One of the thoughts that I had, Dean, as you were talking, is this idea that uh, fear can be a motivator in parenting versus love and so we often will react to or respond uh, fearfully when we see a threat to our families have you ever had that experience or or uh, does that tie in at all to what you're saying absolutely and as a marketer um, we call it FOMO fear of missing out As marketers, we use fear of missing out as one of the primary things that move people towards a product you're trying to sell. And again, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm anti-evangelical. I do believe we're called to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. I don't believe we're called to sell the gospel. 
Right. It's not a sales proposition. It's an offer of life. Right. Um, but as a marketer, you can look at how the church has used fear of missing out mm. as a way to sell the gospel. We use that. And, and so our children are being bomb, being bombarded. Everything is subtle. Um, it's like if you can get through puberty without acne, you probably should thank uh, your your makeup company. It's like it's something everybody is. They make them so afraid. It's like just terrified. You wake up and you see that pimple in your life is over. Mm-hmm. Fear did that. Mm. I mean, ring around the collar. You, they don't even do that anymore. You have to be pretty old to remember ring around the collar. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like I have this terrible fear. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's me. me. And then my, my mom used to say, just wash your neck. <laughs> You know, if you would just wash your neck, you wouldn't have fear. I'm not going to go buy that stuff. I just want you to wash your neck and then we don't have to worry about it. But even back then, it's like products and things that they use, they use fear Mm -hmm. that you're going to miss out on something or you're going to be laughed at or you're going to be challenged. And um, one of the things that helped us, I can't believe I'm saying this, helped us. But one of the things that helped us avoid that trap is two of my daughters and but my wife and I've had it at times to suffer from extreme anxiety. Hmm. And when, I mean, we have my daughter, Emily, who's just a act of grace of God, how God has brought her out of herself. But there was a two year period when she was 14, 15. She's given me permission to share this where she couldn't leave the house. Hmm. She had so much anxiety. And when you see fear at that level, then it's completely off the board as a parent. And and it, it really took that. It helped us raise our kids to know fear is not an option. We if we use fear to control them, we're feeding something that they're already struggling with. So in a way, the fact that my kids struggled with that made us better parents. Because hmm. we had to be, we had table. to become very encouraging. And for the two that didn't have anxiety, we didn't use fear with them either because it was just like we will not have a spirit of fear. Right in our house, and I will say this because a lot of times fear is presented as a lack of faith. The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is self-reliance. Mm. There are people that suffer from anxiety and fear that it has nothing to do with weakness on their part. It's a chemical reaction in their body, mm-hmm. and I get so frustrated when I hear about people with young children with anxiety. It seems to be an epidemic, really, with young people. It's one of the biggest. Maybe our maybe. Our age, we had anxiety too, and they just called it something else. Mm. Like, I remember being afraid to go to school, and my dad was just like, get in the car. Right. You know, maybe right. just people weren't as sensitive to it. Mm. But, but nowadays. But now, it's like, if you need help, if you need to take uh, something like Zoloft or something like that to help, take the medicine. It's not a lack of faith. It's not like you're not trusting God. You you have a chemical thing that needs help. And I also think that we live in a society now that, you know, I talk about this a lot with people that the way we grew up, we can't compare the way we grew right. up versus there are so many more voices speaking into our kids' lives. There are so many more options. There are so many more things to be afraid of there, that they're completely aware of. I mean, it's, it's nonstop 24 seven. And so the complex world of an 11-year-old or 10-year-old or 8-year-old now looks very different than when I was 8 or 10. And so it's not even it's not even close to apples and apples. I mean, we are asking our kids to process and to, um, I guess, react to situations that we didn't have to deal with until we were adults. I mean, because we, we were unaware of all these facets to a modern-day life. And so I think that contributes a great deal to the fear that 
that cripples some of our kids. Well, and I'll tell you this too. One of the things we learned, because we homeschooled our kids and we homeschooled the older three all the way through high school. Mm. And they, my youngest child, who is the extrovert in the family, she spent high school, we put her in a school for high school because she just, it was her relationship with her mom was gonna suffer if we tried to force the issue. It's like homeschooling has to be yeah. best for everybody. But if you think you can protect, if you're driven by fear as a parent, you think you can protect mm -hmm. your family, you can't. Right, yeah. Exactly. You can't. And there are things that have happened in my family that I can't share in this, formula, in this forum, but I will just say this. You think you can build a fence to keep the world out. The world will come into your home. That's right. And it will attack your family. And, and Satan will get a hold of your children. He will have access mm. no matter what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you spend all your time building fences and not teaching your kids self-defense, <laughs> they're going to get killed. Yeah. I you see what that. I'm saying? That's it's a, like, that's a, good a lot of times I think parents, they'll just put If I've got a good enough fence then I don't have to talk about these awkward things with my kids. Mm -hmm. If I put up a good enough uh, barrier on the internet, I won't have to talk to my kids about sex when they're 10. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, if you just trust the fence and you don't give them the tools to defend themselves, it's like, great, we got a fence, but here's a shotgun too. Right. Yeah. In case something gets through the fence. And, and so, I, I, you know, we learn that the hard way. And it about ripped our hearts out mm. when Satan climbed over the fence we had in place and grabbed one of my kids. Yeah. And it happens. I mean, it doesn't matter what, what, even if you're aware, like you're pretty aware of things that are going on outside. It's still, you know, it can happen to anyone. It absolutely can. And so we can't make fear-based decisions as parents. We have to make faith-based decisions. We have to root the decisions we make about how we're going to raise our family, not in what do we want, but what does God want? Yeah, and it goes back to kind of what you said about, and I and don't know the exact words, but you were saying the opposite of fear is self-reliance. Yes. When we raise our kids... Opposite of faith, of faith is self-reliance. If we are raising our kids out of love, we have to have faith. And I, I think, to me, the hardest thing about being a parent is doing our best to put up the fences, doing our best to teach defense... But then also having to go, it's not up the outcome, the destiny, the whatever. I have to trust God with this. I have to trust that there is a greater work at play than just self-reliant, what I can bring to the table. That God is using the process of life in our kids' lives just as he uses the process of life in our life. And sometimes that gets messy. You know, it's funny. I feel like one of the biggest weaknesses in the church right now is... We don't trust the Holy Spirit. Hmm. You know, if salvation is a gift, if salvation is a work of God, and I believe it is entirely a work of God, then God does it. Yeah. And we want to do the things that the Holy God's promised the Holy Spirit will do, like convict of sin, right. like right. talk to you know, to try to direct them and try to get and the Holy Spirit's supposed to do that. And then we don't do the things that He's asked us to do, like be obedient to him and to be humble in the way we raise our children and to respect and honor and love them and to trust God to take care of them. That's what I mean by self-reliance. Right. If you look in Romans chapter one, which is really another description of the fall, it's Paul's version of the fall and he's writing to Romans. So he has to take it out of a Jewish context and put it in a context for Gentiles. 
And he said, because they didn't honor God in their hearts nor give glory or thanks to him, he turned them over. Hmm. You know, the, the sin, whether you put it in the garden of eating of the fruit or the sin of they did not honor God in their hearts, they did not give him glory, both places, the sin was not fear or it, it was, I want to do this. Hmm. I want to have the knowledge of right. good and evil. I want to take the credit for the good things in my life instead of giving it to God. Self-reliance. And self-reliance as parents is going to get your kids killed. Hmm. I mean spiritually killed. Yeah. You know? And sometimes maybe even more drastic, but really I'm talking about spiritually. It's like if you're relying on yourself to protect your children. As a college um, professor, assistant professor, assistant. thank you. Um, but as a college professor, I advise 65 students and I advise 130 parents, you know, or some number <laughs> right. between, yeah. Um, and we call them helicopter parents. Helicopter parents are the ones that just hover around their kids everywhere they go and just cannot let go. And there have been times where I've asked the student in an advising session with incoming freshmen, I'm like, why don't you go out and talk to so-and-so? And I get the parents and I'm like, you got to let go. You can't micromanage their lives. You have to let go and trust God. Mm. Because it's like if you're trying to manage their lives, they're going to get killed. At some point, you're not going to be able to see everything they're doing. At some point, they're going to be on their own. And if that happens for the first time at 18, look out. Yeah. We have a lot of that on a Christian campus. Because I teach at Trevecca Nazarene University. It's a Christian school. And a lot of kids, they're on their own for the first time. And it is time to go see what mom and dad have been hiding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's interesting because as a pastor, um, I see this sort of fear uh, in the teen years that parents have that my kid did this, 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 this sort of out of the box, bad quote unquote behavior occurred and they panic in that moment. Let's say the child's 15, 16 years old. They went out drinking, they snuck out of the house. They were with a boyfriend overnight, whatever it is. And they come to me as the pastor and they want me to quote, fix it. And one of the things that I've seen in my own life, and, and, and I hear you saying, Dean, is this process of becoming, of forming identity, forming your faith, is, is messy, and it's a long-term view. It's not today. It's not short-term. It's a lifetime view that a parent needs to have. And uh, my encouragement uh, to often uh, the par- parishioners that I see is to allow that process to go on for that child to go through the process of forming their faith, to struggle with these questions, to wrestle with these ideas about value. How do you as a parent, or how did you as a parent, help transfer the values that you laid out for the deals into your kids' hearts? How did that happen? Um, I think the most important thing a parent has to do in their child's life is love them unconditionally. The problem with the good bad ladders is it implies a condition. Mm. It implies a condition on God and it implies a condition on you. And you know, one of the things that there's not many things that Judy and I a pride's probably the wrong word. One of the things that we are grateful is that in raising four kids and my youngest one's 20, my oldest one's 28. So that's where they are now. But taking them to that point, when they have had those moments, and my kids have had some moments 
where you know they're they're Our, pretty high. Too. They're yeah. pretty high yeah. on the bad ladder yeah. at yeah. times. Yeah, if we, we those ladders, we're are good. in your club. Yeah. yeah. They came to us. Right. Yeah. Because they knew it was a safe place, and that um, we were not going to stop loving them. And there are times where my wife and I have said, there are so many things we want to say to you right now, but it's not our place to say them. So we're going to pray God brings somebody else in your life to say those things. Because the only thing you need to hear from us is we love you anyway. Hmm. And we love you still. And we love you because. Mm -hmm. It changes nothing. It changes nothing. And so there are things in your kid's life you can't fix because you have to love them unconditionally. Yeah. And I, I, we grew up, I grew up, and I love my dad desperately. He passed away a few years ago, and I'll tell you about my last conversation with him in a second. But my dad believed in a thing, and he talked about it called tough love. And I believe there's such a thing as tough love. But tough love has to still be love. And it has to be unconditional. It's the last conversation I had with my dad two years ago. My 28-year-old daughter and her husband, he was trying to decide what job. And I was talking to my dad. He was laying there in the bed. and um, His last lucid conversation with me. And I'm like worried about my 28-year-old daughter. And I look at him and I said, it never ends, does it? This parenting thing. And he goes, that's the last lesson. Wow. <laughs> That's the last lesson. Yeah, I said, do you worry about me? I said, I'm 50. Do you worry about me? He goes, every day I take you to God. And I'm like, God, do what I can't do. Say what I can't say. Lead where I can't lead. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. The that's my last lesson. That's my last memory of my, that's my dad because that's the lesson. What a gift. And so we don't get to hand them off at 18. It never stops. But your role is not, we're not responsible for our kids' lives. And I think we think we are. Like we're, we're stewards of these lives. But our stewardship is to be obedient to God, not to have some preconceived outcome of our parenting. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's about understanding the goal. You know, the goal isn't, as you said earlier in the podcast, to deliver this perfect 18-year-old. You know, that's not the goal. No. And I, and I don't know how many parents have actually sat and thought for just a minute, what is my goal? Yeah, because I, I I think we're so full of life and we're so full of our schedules and the crazy pace that we live at that we often forget or maybe have never considered what you're talking about today. My daughter's nannying right now, and the lady in the job description says, "You have two two jobs, two tasks: keep them safe, make sure they have fun." <laughs> I'm like. That's a crappy job description. <laughs> That's what you want from your nanny. Keep them safe. Make sure they have fun. Okay. Wow. Not my kid. <laughs> Entertain them. Just make sure they don't get hurt. Yeah. But I wonder how many parents it's like, that's it. It's like, if they're safe, they're not getting in trouble, they're having fun, then it takes the guilt off of me. They don't embarrass me. That one, you know. And the like, thing is scary is that a lot of times I think parents, we talk about this in Before 13, they think um, getting back to shaping the identity or not shaping, discovering the identity yeah. is that we think that we don't want life to really impact them until they're adults. And really, life needs to kind of intersect their lives when they're younger, because mm -hmm. that's 
that is kind of peeling back the layers of their identity to find their identity happens when they intersect life and I know for me, with my oldest, I wanted to protect her, incubate her until she became an adult. Like, you're not ready to handle this stuff. Truth is, she was doing all the stuff, just hiding it from me. And that disintegrated our trust relationship. And so, thankfully, it's come full circle now, like the relational side. But I realized that I was just trying to go, you're not ready. You're not ready for this. And there are some things that are not age appropriate. But getting back to what you said earlier, if you think that your kids are not being attacked and if they're not being influenced by the world you're wrong it's happening right now and we act like we have to be the guardians of making sure nothing touches them instead of just processing with them through the impact that the world is having on them is that correct yeah yeah well it's been a it's really been a pleasure and an honor to have you here dean um your insights as i expected were awesome thank you Except when I talked about the failure of the evangelical church. I, I well, back away from yeah, that statement a little bit. Know, I, we're going to lead with that. Yeah. <laughs> I you think know, I did. I think uh, as, a, as a pastor, I can, I can hear that without any, anything but agreement. Because I think my generation, I'm 47, you know, we were raised in a church that was selling to us. Yeah. You know, and so my initial experience with the church was avoid hell by this. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I actually engaged my heart yes. and fell in love with Jesus and, and submitted my life to him. So I had the theology, but I didn't have any of the any of the motivation of love. And so what you're describing for the church was very real for me. And I know for many of our listeners, they'll identify with that. So as we uh, wrap up, Robert, do you have any last uh, thoughts or digs you want to get at your friend? <laughs> I'm not going to. Uh, I have plenty, but um, it I knew that this would be great because Dean is a great thinker, and I've always enjoyed conversations with him for for years. We've, I can remember going into your office, and we would just sit and talk about what about this and what about that. And before you know it, we were down in a hole of like, how did we get here? Kind of yeah. conversation. So, I knew this was going to be great, and I'm thankful that you shared this because you have done a great job raising your kids, and um, I, I, you know, and I know that you care so much about them, and I know that they know that you care so much about them, and. I love the authenticity with which you lead them. Thank you. Professionally, you know, it's questionable what you do. <laughs> but I have some respect for it. Well, for I had those, to sell records that you made. So they I, sold must be pretty, I must be pretty good. As far as I recall, the marketing, I mean, the sales of the records started going down when we handed over the marketing <laughs> to you. But that's a story for it. Now, this is where day. I have to step in as the referee <laughs> separate these two. Please go to your corners. So, Ed, in all seriousness, if you want to find out more or get in contact with Dean, you need to enroll your child at Treveca. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dean is the, is the director of the music business department there, and it's a fantastic one. It's in Nashville, and it's you know very interconnected to the Christian music industry. Absolutely. So, uh, if you're if you're a parent of a, a high schooler or a young uh, to soon to be college student, I would highly encourage you to check that out. Uh, if, if not, you can email us uh, at info at ishinelive.com and we'll get your comments or questions to Dean. Thank you, Dean, for stopping by the studio today and being a part of Brilliantly Brave. Say thank you, Dean. Thank you. Good to be here. It was good to be here. Well, Robert, I know uh, it, it's always amazing when you hang out with Dean a little bit because uh, his brain just goes and goes and goes and goes. You, you just There's a lot in there and he just sort of did a fire hose on us yeah. of ideas and thoughts and experiences. What is your first first take? 
I expected nothing less. I mean, he's just such a he's a great thinker and and practical. And the thing I love about Dean is, as smart as he is, he listens as much as he talks. Like he he is a student of all things at all times. And so, um, I I love the distinctions that he gave about the latter and you know being good and bad. And it's a theme that comes up quite a bit on this podcast is the difference between behavior and and heart and how. You know, measuring can be a real damaging thing to to ourselves as well as something that we lay on our kids. So I thought it was great. Yeah, I I wrote down a lot of notes, uh, a lot <clears throat> of quotes that uh, that he made, and just sort of made me stop and think and, and reevaluate. I I think the most significant quote I heard him say is, "Self reliance as a parent will get your kids killed." Hmm. Um, and I hadn't really actually thought of it in those terms before. But I can look back on my own experience as a parent and really see the danger yeah. that I created uh, when I when I really kind of yeah I can think of specific that. things that I did that were a hundred percent a hundred percent self reliant like the wisdom according to Robert Beeson instead of <laughs> take a pause ask the Holy Spirit to give me some wisdom here and listen to that still small voice because. You know, when you're parenting and you're you're faced with something that's difficult, you just I just charged right into it. So yeah, I thought that was very well said, and and I can definitely identify. Yeah, and I I think he made a, a really interesting sort of nuance there because he wasn't just saying self reliance in the sense of you know our personal willfulness, mm. but but the self reliance of sort of being a Christian, knowing the right way to do it, quote unquote. Mm. You know, establishing these rules. Having that sort of religious uh, authority and that being our self-reliance. Mm-hmm. And then that nuance for me was really important because as I, I thought about that, there were many times when I would sort of step into things in my kids' lives sort of waving the Bible yeah, and, um, and really messing it up, really hurting them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's – I mean, that's – Exactly right. Whether it's the Bible, I definitely see that side. But also just getting back to this whole thing we talk about a lot, and that's fear. Like, oh my gosh, the wheels are coming off. I've got to jump in and fix this, or I've got to use my best, you know, whether it be the Bible or whether it just be like things I've heard or whatever, instead right. of just going, yeah. this is a unique human being that I'm dealing with here. And I need to be sensitive to a bigger process happening than just what appears to me. Could it be that there's more to this picture, not just talking about like what happened, but could there be more to this picture that meets the eye, that God is actually intersecting, and how can we best be sensitive to that? Yeah, it, I really like the idea of, of, of asking that hard question, what is your goal as a parent? Mm-hmm. You know, where are we really? What is the ultimate destination here? And I think for many parents, the goal is to be in control. Mm. You know, like, don't let this thing lose control. Don't let, the, don't let this go off the road. Right. And um, I've found, even recently in the last year, that when my kids go off the road, sometimes that's God's way of connecting with them, mm. of reaching them when I can't. Yeah. When I can't. And so our, if, our, if our goal internally in our thinking is to keep them safe, quote unquote, we may be doing them a disfavor. That's right. And I, interesting, just a s- small example of this is recently one of my kids did something that was wrong and it was a repeated offense. And, um, I was talking to a counselor yesterday about something I handled and I just did it 
I just felt I listened for the first time, not first time, but one of the first times, <laughs> to what was guiding, like the spirit, like what's the right way to handle this? Because there's she keeps doing the same thing over and over, and so what I did is I actually took her out to lunch, and then said, okay, there's some consequences to what you're doing, but this doesn't change anything about the way I feel about you. I'm just surprised you keep making these same choices that negatively affect you. But I love you just, just the way you are and whatever. Anyway, so I was talking to this about this counselor, and um, she's like, I think that's exactly the way you should have handled it. Because you said that this infraction does not define the whole situation, that you're still interested in, a community, in communication and relationship. I heard from someone else, like, oh, so you're rewarding bad behavior. And that's, that's not it at all. It's just that my outcome is relationship, not behavior. And I think that's kind of what Dean was talking about and what you're talking about as far as, you know, if we're relying just on ourselves and story, like the, the textbook, Parenting, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble and potentially cost the kids their spiritual life. And hopefully not, but maybe their, their physical life too. Yeah, as I was thinking through some of Dean's comments and in my notes and just sort of reflecting on my own life, you know, there are these moments in uh, parenting where we really feel like we're responsible Hmm. for our kids to follow Christ. Like, that's on us. Right. And the weight of that, I think, is that terrible fear motivator. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm screwing this up. I'm messing my kids up. I am completely... uh, to blame here for why my child's behaving that way. And so that's sort of that negative feedback. Then we grab harder and tighter and more rules and more restrictions and mm-hmm. more boundaries. And that bubble we build doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you're a parent listening and you've got a child who is really breaking the rules, quote unquote, uh, it might be time to really sit down with your spouse. And if, if you're a single parent, you need to listen to Robert's podcast, uh, Solo Parent Society. But if you're single, seriously, sit down with your pastor Mm -hmm. and really look at how do I create values-based parenting here rather than fear-based and and really kind of do a reset and then really rely on prayer and the Holy Spirit, like Dean was saying, Mm -hmm. to be that uh, voice of conviction Mm -hmm. and of change inside of your kid's heart. Um, That doesn't mean you don't lower your boundaries. It doesn't mean you don't Mm -mm. stop protecting them from themselves but you're not relying on those boundaries to change them right yeah and so that that shift of reliance of what it is you as a parent really are trusting in i think is what dean was was driving at in his his thoughts couldn't agree more yeah well uh if you're a regular listener now of uh, Brilliantly Brave podcast, we thank you for that. And uh, we're grateful for all those who go and like us on Facebook or uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or, or uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We'd love to have you be one of our friends out there. But for those who are regulars, you know that there is a moment uh, when uh, I share just some wisdom that comes from Winston. Hmm. And I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. So... Winston gives me just these deep insights into the world at large, things that every parent should know. And I've, I have two today. One is uh, very Winston, and the other is something that Winston sort of suggested, and I followed up. The first one that's very Winston is the fact that I didn't know that some cats are allergic to humans. That is really weird. Well, I mean, it's helpful because I think a lot of times we think that just, you know, people are allergic to cats. I'm hoping they're allergic to me. Because I really don't like cats. Wow. 
Okay, yeah. so there's some some hostility there from Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second thing that Winston told me, besides the cat, is a little more interesting, and it, it has to do with uh, social situations. So bear with me here. The Scots, as in the people from Scotland, mm. have a word for that panicky hesitation you get when you're introducing someone whose name you can't quite remember. There's a word for that? There's a word for that in Scotland. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I mean, Winston's amazing. He Mm. tells me stuff I just otherwise would have missed. I bet. Yeah. The name (laughs) for that, the name for that very awkward social moment is a tartle. T-A. A tartle. Yeah, T-A-R. Can you look that word up, tartle? Yeah. T-A-R-T-L-E. Well, that happens to me more than I would like to admit. So it's like startle with no S. Tartle. Tartle. Okay, well, that was enriching. Thank you, Brad. I I think I'm going to use it sometime in the next week. Because as a pastor, you know how many times I introduce people who I don't quite remember their name is? Yeah, I've had to to create a a secret language between my wife and I when we go somewhere. If I give her a sign that I don't know who this person is... What's the sign? I'm not going to tell you because, no, I'm not going to tell you. We need to know. No, because then it's her job to go, oh, nice to meet you. What was your name? Oh, And then it introduces, and then I can. So like Tim and Amy, Clary, the other day, she had a sign to to rein him in. Yeah, potato. Potato. Mm -hmm. That was it. Yeah. So is it like that? Is it like a word? No, it's not a word. It's So it's not a word. It's It's an omission. Oh. But so it's not like a hand sign or a signal or she flicks her nose. I'm not going to tell you. Okay. You sure? Yeah. All right. But it's to avoid tartle. To avoid the tartle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That might be a new thing. Maybe. A, I don't yeah. think it is. That's a band name. Let's keep moving. All right. Well, uh, we are grateful <laughs> that you've uh, spent the last 45 minutes hanging out with us. Yes, and we, uh, we really appreciate uh, all of our listeners. And we want to encourage you that if you are feeling less than brilliant or brave, um, you're in a good place. We do too. Yeah. So until next week. We'll see you. Join us right here next week with Kevin McNeese. He's the president and director of Hear It First and New Release Today, one of the largest Christian websites in the world. If you're into Christian music or Christian media, this is a must episode for you. We invite you to come back here next week at Brilliantly Brave Parenting. Parents, remember, even if you may not feel brilliant or brave, you are For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, and love, and self-control. And I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 13. This podcast is a service of iShine Ministries and the Tween Gospel Alliance. All rights reserved. Donations to Brilliantly Brave are tax-deductible at iShineLive.com. Review and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or on our webpage. And read our blog and connect with us at WordPress at BrilliantlyBrave.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Brilliantly Brave.
iShine is a faith-based ministry and media company that looks and feels a lot like a Christian version of Disney. iShine is more than entertainment. We're the producer of the largest Christian tween TV series in the world, a nationally syndicated radio show, a Nashville-based record label, host to multiple live tours and summer festivals, an interactive website and social media, and a provider of printed and digital devotionals, preteen Bibles, and church curriculums. But more than anything, we're a trusted Christian resource for parents and pastors. You can turn to us for all things tween. Check us out at iShineLive.com.